Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. In the early 1980s, Laura Morris mysteriously lost her life at the hands of an unidentified suspect. Her father would later tell crime detectives that he would go to any lengths possible to solve his daughter's murder mystery. In the following years, at least four people went... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Missing, and each of them had ties to the girl's father. None of the cases have ever been solved, but there's much more to this cold case than meets the eye. April 15, 1982, was a typical warm spring day in Arlington, Indiana. The rains had begun to subside, and the farmers were busy planting the fields. A farmhand named Phil Bennett was plowing a field in northeastern Shelby County when he noticed something strange and out of place lying in the field a few rows away. He hopped off of his tractor and headed towards what he would later tell crime scene investigators that he believed to be a deer. When Phil got closer, he realized that it was not an animal he had discovered, but instead a terrifying crime scene. Without knowing it, Phil had just ended an eight-month-long search for a missing woman. However, the murder and the disappearance of 22-year-old Laura Lynn Morris would only be the first of four mysterious disappearances that surrounded Laura's father, Stephen Snedeker. Laura was found at the scene of the crime, lying on her back. She was wearing a long white men's t-shirt, a pair of cut-off jean shorts, and had several pieces of jewelry on. Several shell casings were collected by detectives as evidence, and it was determined that she'd been struck multiple times with the revolver. Police believed she was murdered in the same location where she was found, but the landowner was adamant that the missing woman was not there when he'd picked the crops the last October. Investigators weren't so sure about this claim, but they had no real evidence to refute this aside from the shells. Laura's family identified her by her clothing and jewelry, but later Laura's identity would be confirmed using a forensic analysis and a comparison to her dental records. A few days later, Laura was buried in a cemetery in Ohio, a short distance from where she was born. Laura had disappeared on the evening of August 10, 1981 from her home in Shadeland Drive, just south of Greenfield, Indiana. Laura's parents, Stephen Snedeker and Gertrude Snedeker, better known as Trudy, had moved to Astor, Florida in June of 1981 after selling their Greenfield oil business. However, Laura decided to stay behind. Laura lived in her parents' home for most of the summer. Earlier that year, she had divorced her husband, Bryce, whom she had a three-year-old daughter with named Brandy. The couple reportedly got along even after their divorce and shared equal custody of their daughter. 
On August 10th, Laura's mom, Trudy, flew from her Florida home to visit with Laura and her other daughter, Brenda, who had lived in southern Indianapolis. Trudy landed at the Indianapolis International Airport, where her two daughters picked her up. After spending the day together, Laura and Trudy left Brenda's and headed to the family's home in Greenville together. Once there, Trudy retired to the master bedroom while Laura laid on the couch wearing a men's white t-shirt and her underwear watching television. That was, rather mysteriously, the last time that Laura would be seen alive. The following morning, August 11th, Trudy awoke at 6.30 a.m. to find the side patio door open and the television still on. Laura's keys and wallet were lying inside, and her bed was still made in her bedroom, and her car was still in the driveway, but Laura was missing. After an hour or so and still no sign of Laura, Trudy began calling various friends and relatives, as well as the local hospital, but no one had seen Laura. Finally, at 1.30 p.m., Trudy called police so that she could file a missing persons report. Upon their arrival, police found nothing out of the ordinary at the home, and certainly no evidence to suggest that a crime had taken place. The only indication that Laura's disappearance was the result of foul play was the fact that she hadn't taken any of her personal belongings with her. But this wouldn't be enough for police to secure any sort of warrant or even consider a criminal investigation. Laura's phone records indicated that she'd placed two calls that evening, both to her ex-husband, Bryce. The first call was placed at 11 p.m. The second was placed shortly before midnight. Police searched fields, creeks, and nearby plantations for any evidence of Laura, but they found no trace of the missing woman. The following day, August 12th, Trudy received a strange phone call at her Greenfield home. An unknown man had called and said in a raspy voice, We're gonna get ya, sucker, before hanging up. The mysterious man was never identified, but crime detectives would do their best to track him down. Trudy informed the police about the strange phone call, and investigators then set up a recording device at Trudy's home. On August 13th, a second mysterious phone call was placed to the Snedeker home. This time, the caller was a woman who was crying for roughly 10 seconds. Laura's family believed that the woman on the other end of the line was Laura, but it was never proven by detectives. It was later reported that Stephen went to the police station and dumped $10,000 on the sheriff's desk. He said that he knew his daughter was dead, he just wanted them to find her body and the person who did it. Steve told the sheriff he would go to any means necessary to find out what happened to Laura. Three weeks after Laura's disappearance, another mysterious disappearance occurred that involved the Snedeker family. A businessman from Carmel, Indiana named Paul Anthony Lambert, better known as Tony, had attempted to buy the Snedeker family's waste oil business. But Tony's financing fell through and harsh words were exchanged between the two businessmen. Believing that he may have had something to do with his daughter's disappearance, Steve Snedeker set up a meeting with Tony in New Orleans under the guise of a business meeting. Steve claims that he questioned Tony about Laura's disappearance, but said that Tony claimed to have no knowledge of his daughter's whereabouts. Steve reportedly last saw Tony driving away with an unknown blonde woman in his car, but this clearly wasn't enough evidence to prove that he was connected to the case in any way. However, rumors swirled that Steve, who was a private pilot and had flown to New Orleans by himself that day, took Tony on a sightseeing tour of the Gulf that afternoon. After the tour was over and Steve landed his small engine aircraft, he was alone. Tony Lambert has never been found since their meeting that day. 
In March of 1982, just two weeks before Laura's remains would be discovered, an employee of the Snedeker family would also go missing. 22-year-old Chuck Smith worked as a truck driver for JNS Oil, the Snedeker family business, but his employment had been terminated for reasons that remain unexplained. Chuck, who was then employed at a service station in Greenfield, told Trudy that he had an odd encounter with Laura the day before her disappearance. He claimed that Laura regularly came into the service station, but on the day of August 9th, she'd come into the store in the company of a scraggly-haired man. Chuck also claimed Laura was scared and intimidated. Trudy asked Chuck to keep this information a secret, but Chuck told crime investigators as soon as they asked. He was given a polygraph test and passed, but a short time later, Chuck quit his job at the service station. Trudy went to the police station claiming that she wanted Chuck's phone number because she had a job opportunity for him. The detectives who were investigating the case obliged and gave her the number. A few days later, Chuck received a phone call from a man who identified himself as John Rogers, owner of the John Rogers Trucking Company in Knoxville, Tennessee. Rogers said he'd received Chuck's contract information from Steve Snedeker, and he was calling to offer Chuck steady employment and a complimentary bus ticket to Tennessee. On March 28th, Chuck's father-in-law dropped him off at the bus depot en route of his new place of employment. This would become yet another mysterious aspect of the case, as that would be the last time anyone ever saw Chuck. Investigators later learned that the company John Rogers Trucking Company didn't even exist. Steve Snedeker was questioned but denied having any knowledge of the trucking company or of Chuck's whereabouts. Investigators also discovered that the man selling tickets at the train depot was named John Rogers, and theorized that whoever was responsible for Chuck's unsolved disappearance had read the ticket seller's name when he bought Chuck's ticket for it. Three years after Laura's death, another Indiana businessman named Tony McCullough, who was the partner of the missing person of Tony Lambert and a former prospective buyer of JNS Oil, received a phone call from a man named Gary Stafford. Gary, who was a self-proclaimed hitman, told McCullough that he'd accepted $5,000 to kill him from a man in Florida seeking to avenge his daughter's unsolved murder investigation. He told McCullough that he was going to receive $20,000 upon completing the job, but if McCullough could give him $10,000 cash, he would let him live. Tony McCullough immediately contacted law enforcement, and ultimately Gary was arrested for extortion and sentenced to two years in prison. While incarcerated, Gary refused to identify the man who had hired him. Gary was never found to have any connection to Steven Snedeker. A few years after the discovery of Laura's body, yet another Snedeker employee went missing. This time, a man in his 30s named James A. Wilkes, who was Steve's right-hand man at his oil business. Unfortunately, there's very little information available about James's mysterious disappearance, other than he's never been seen again. The final person to mysteriously disappear would be Laura's own mom, Trudy. Trudy and Stephen had divorced in 1983 for unknown reasons, yet remained living together in Astor, Florida. In the summer of 1986, Trudy's other daughter, Brenda, came to visit her parents in Florida. Trudy confided in Brenda that for five consecutive nights, she'd awoken to find Stephen pointing a gun at her head and threatening to pull the trigger. The night after Trudy revealed this information, Steve offered to take her dancing at a country western-themed bar. Trudy agreed and the pair headed out. That was the last time anyone saw Trudy Snedeker. 
Steve told Brenda that after an argument, Trudy left him that night and moved to Tallahassee. The day after Trudy's disappearance, Brenda claims her dad came to her sobbing. He took her outside and opened the trunk of his Mercedes. Inside were piles of money that, according to him, totaled more than a million dollars. He instructed Brenda to only remove the cash from the car if he was arrested. After that, the cash was never found and Steve denied Brenda's claims. Suspiciously, Trudy was not reported as a missing person for almost a year after her disappearance. Police discovered Trudy had left her purse containing her money and credit cards at home on the night of her disappearance and had never retrieved it. They officially filed a missing person report, but no trace of Trudy has ever been found. In 1989, police learned that Steve was dying of cancer. They once again approached him with questions about Laura, Tony, Chuck, James, and Trudy. He claimed that before his death, he would leave a tell-all confession behind. However, the following year, Steve succumbed to cancer, and crime investigators found no confession letter. However, they did discover that only days before his death, there was a large bonfire spotted in Steve's yard. Police don't believe this was a coincidence, and they believe he may have been destroying vital evidence that would have connected him to several crime scenes. While cleaning out their father's home in Florida, the Snedeker children discovered a map tucked inside of the guest book from Laura's funeral. On the map, a red X marked a spot on the Snedeker property. The map was turned over to law enforcement. They excavated the area on the map in the hopes that they would find one of the missing people associated with Steve. Unfortunately, their investigation turned up nothing. Years passed with no new leads, but then in 1994, a family friend of Trudy's named Buck Estes came forward claiming at the behest of Trudy, he'd placed a black box inside of Laura's casket on the day of her funeral. He said that the black box contained a letter from Trudy, as well as several pictures. Hoping the letter would hold valuable clues, Laura's body was exhumed and the small black jewelry box was located. However, whatever was written on the letter was never released publicly, as police claimed it had nothing to do with the case, and the pictures were simply old family photos. The murder of Laura Lynn Morris and the disappearances of Trudy Snedeker, Tony Lambert, Chuck Smith, and James Wilkes all remain unsolved. But that's the video for today, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that blue join button below to really show your support for the channel. But my name is Ty Knotts. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video.